0: Hello, and welcome to Happier, a podcast about how to make your life happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative. This week, we'll talk about why you should say down with boredom. And we'll talk to Jancy Dunn about her new book, How Not to Hate Your Husband After Kids. And bonus, we'll also have Jancy's husband, writer Tom Vanderbilt, with us to add his perspective. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft. And Elizabeth, I am so excited about this new segment that we're going to introduce.
1: That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And yes, Gretchen, we have a new segment, Before and After Stories. This was suggested by our listener, Laura. She said, I have noticed so many small changes in my own life, and I love feeling savvy and systematic about applying your various tips I love, love, love hearing about other people geeking out along with me and trying out all these different approaches to improving our own lives. I'm sure you hear from people whose lives have been changed all the time. Well, I've noticed you often sprinkle these stories throughout. Have you ever thought about regularly highlighting listener transformations? a la before-and-after makeover stories. I find these real-life examples to be incredibly moving and powerful. For example, I welled up a little in my car listening to the woman who gave up sugar after the cancer connection lightning bolt. I'm also a few weeks into the journey myself.
0: So I think this is a great idea. I am obsessed with before-and-after. I love any kind of before-and-after story. And in fact, the working title of my book, Better Than Before?, was before and after for a long time. And so this idea... Yeah, be-
1: for years you were calling it before and after.
0: Yeah. And so I think this is a great idea for a segment. So if you have a before and after story that you'd like to share, please tell us, and we're going to start making this part of our rotation of segments, because I absolutely agree. We can learn from each other. And when you read about or hear about what someone else has done, what's resonated with someone else and what's allowed them to make big changes, I think that that really helps as we all are thinking about what we want to do.
1: Yeah. Great idea from Laura.
0: Also, we're still getting thoughtful responses to our episode 140 about what to say in difficult situations.
1: Yeah, and we heard from a lot of people who love what our good friend Karen had to say about what people said to her before and after um, her husband and my beloved friend Mike died.
0: A listener who's also named Karen commented, And a lot of people said similar things. I just wanted to say what an amazing person your friend Karen must be. I know so many people that would have been offended by someone saying all the wrong things after her husband's death. And it speaks volumes about Karen's character that she was able to see the intent of her friend's actions and laugh about it. So true. Yes. Even in that tough time, she had a sense of humor, and she remembered the person was really trying to be loving, and that's what she focused on.
1: Yeah, and I have to say, Mike was the same way, so it doesn't surprise me at all. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, we'll sh- we're still getting amazing responses to 140, so keep them coming, because it's really fascinating and thought-provoking to read about the things that people say in difficult situations.
1: Yes, and helpful. I'm I'm internalizing all of this so that I'll... Be better at responding to people in tough situations.
0: I am already doing things differently. Already doing things differently. So yeah, it's it's been it's been it's a before and after,
1: yes, exactly. <laughs>
0: um, and listen, this week our tried this at home tip is down with boredom.
1: Yes. Down with boredom.
0: So I did, a, you know, I every week I do a little happier, one little two-minute story that goes live on Mondays. But I did a little happier on it, but I decided it was really a big enough idea that it should be a whole try this at home on its own. And I became preoccupied with this idea, Down with Boredom, because my college roommate went on to get her Ph.D. thesis. And she was telling me about when she was writing her thesis, which is, you know, this years-long arduous process— she had a Post-it note that she kept on her computer that said, down with boredom, to remind her that when she was writing, if she got to a boring part, she should just say down with boredom and not write about anything that bored her.
1: Yeah, I love that, Gretz. You told me that years ago, and the second you told me, I wrote down with boredom on a Post-it and put it on my computer monitor, my desktop monitor, because I love that.
0: The funny thing is how you really can't do it. And I remember like, when I was writing The Happiness Project, for instance, one of the things that was really, really boring to me was what is the definition of happiness? And to this day, people are always saying like, Gretchen, what is your definition of happiness? And I went to law school. I spent an entire semester arguing about the definition of contract. Like that kind of thing just bores (laughs) me intensely. Like let's have these like really long, complicated conversations about definitions. And I was like, can I just not write that? So I basically say... No, I just never try to define it. And I just say it can be whatever you want it to be. Peace, satisfaction, hedonic, well-being, joy, bliss, whatever you want. You can have your own definition. We can all have our own definition. I just skipped it. And the fact is it's surprising how often you can just say down with boredom and, and just eliminate those parts. Totally. Um so listen this reminds me of something that you guys talked about on Happier in Hollywood um being relentlessly entertaining. Um
1: yeah so Sarah and I our mantra for this development season um when we're <laughs> writing pilot scripts is relentlessly entertaining because we made a conscious decision that we don't want to have any boring scenes in anything we write. Ah. which may sound obvious, but a lot of times you write boring scenes just to get information out, you know, to get something across. And our thing now is we just don't want anything to be boring. So if there's a boring scene, we just find a way to cut it or we find a way to make it a great scene. And we are just saying no boredom. Every page, we want to be a page turner.
0: Right. It's relentless. It's like every single page. Um, And you can see how that could be you could like let's say you're at work and there's a weekly meeting where every single person who goes there is bored and nobody looks forward to it and everybody's bored the whole time. Probably it's not accomplishing much because if stuff were happening people would be engaged and they would be interested and they would be listening. And the fact that everybody's bored suggests that there's really no value there. And so maybe is there a way just let's just not have that weekly meeting? Yes. Or like you say, let's make it good. You either cut it out or you make it good.
1: Absolutely. And then my question is, can you do this in life? I mean, are there boring tasks you could eliminate or somehow delegate Um, You know, depending on your financial situation, maybe you could throw some money at the problem.
0: Yeah. Is there a way to say down with boredom? I heard a story from a woman. I thought this was hilarious. A great example of how saying down with boredom can like save you boring tasks. So her thing was she did the laundry for her family. And I think she had three kids. And she was driven mad because everybody would pull their pants off so that they would be they would go inside out. You know, if you just pull your pants off Mm -hmm, and kind of reverse them out. And so she and would T-shirts. T- and T-shirts, right. And so she would bl- beg and she would plead and she would remind and-, and say to people, you know, come on before you throw them in the dirty hamper, make everything right side in. And they never did. And it drove her crazy. And it was really boring to spend all her time. And then she- finally she realized, you know what? I'm just going to put everything away inside out. And so mm-hmm. if you want your T-shirt or your pair of jeans to be the right way, You're going to have to do it yourself before you put them on. And I thought, this is brilliant. Because probably over the course of a year, she saved tons of hours of very boring work. And Mm -hmm. she places the burden on the people who properly should bear that burden. And now she doesn't have a conversation about it anymore. There's no more nagging, no more reminders. Down with boredom. Down with boredom. And I'm sure cut her resentment,
1: too. Always a good thing in a family to cut down on resentment. Always
0: a good thing.
1: Um now what I will say Gretchen because you know we always say the opposite of a profound truth is also true. Yeah. So in my life I'm actually trying to embrace boring tasks more and to find joy in them.
0: Ooh, like what? Well,
1: you know with the redoing of our house which is not done but is <laughs> nearing the end. Um yeah. I'm I'm really trying to get into the rhythm of like living in a house and being domestic which, you know, I'm just not a very domestic person (laughs) by nature. Um, So I'm really trying to, like, embrace emptying the dishwasher and loading Ah. the dishwasher, not just as, like, a boring task, but as part of being a grown-up, part of just being in the world and doing these things and seeing it as, like, almost a higher um, Mm -hmm. calling, You know, than just a boring task of emptying the dishwasher.
0: Well, we've talked before about how you can like make everything a meditation, like dishwasher meditation or waiting in line meditation or laundry folding meditation. So you're sort of trying to tap into kind of the rhythms of your household more and kind of take joy in yes these sort of mundane little tasks?
1: Yes, because I feel like it's all part of being a mom, being a wife, being part of a family is to embrace mundane tasks. Interesting. This is my idea. We'll see if it, you know, how it pans out.
0: Well, you know, they say if you can't get out of it, get into it. So maybe down with boredom, it's like eliminate the boring parts or embrace the boring parts as being part of the beauty and joy and the transcendence of everyday life. Absolutely. But on the subject of of boredom, for people who are not taking such a high-minded view, I do have a post, which is six tips for coping with boredom. And I will link to that in the show notes if you're thinking about whether to fight boredom or embrace boredom in various areas of your life. Let us
1: know if you do try this at home and how saying "down with boredom" works for you. What are some ways you manage to eliminate boredom? Post on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Drop us an email as always at podcast@gretchenrubin.com, at and you can go to happiercast.com/slash-one forty-three for everything
0: related to this episode. Coming up, we'll talk about a great happiness hack, but first, a little break.
1: Gretch, you know, I love Noom. I love all the tools it has, especially the step tracker and the weight tracker. I rely on those every day.
0: Yep, you don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at noom.com slash happier. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash happier. What do you have to lose? Visit noom.com slash happier to start your trial today.
1: Okay, Gretch, it is time for a happiness hack.
0: Yes, this is a hack I learned. It is a question, a very, very helpful question to ask if you're not sure how to proceed. And I got the insight into this hack when I was reading Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Committed. Now, Elizabeth Gilbert has written several well-known books like The Signature of All Things and Big Magic, and she's best known for Eat, Pray, Love. And Committed is a book that she wrote as sort of a sequel to Eat, Pray, Love. And in it, Elizabeth Gilbert, it's at the very beginning of the book, and she's describing that she has a relationship with this um, man, Philippe, who was Brazilian-born with an Australian citizenship who'd been mostly living in Indonesia. But then he ends up moving in with her in Philadelphia. But because of his visa restrictions, he stays for three months, then he leaves, and then he comes back. And then they're they're both away together and they're trying to come back into the country. And Homeland Security basically says to him, your visa is not meant to permit this kind of existence where basically you're living in the United States. You're just kind of coming and going to break it up. That's not going to fly. That's not what this visa is for.
1: So the official is explaining the situation to her and Philippe and they're losing their minds trying to figure it out. And Elizabeth Gilbert asked a question that you thought was so wise, and you try to remember to use, and now I also try to remember to use it. So here's the passage from the book, Gretchen. What would you do now if you were in our situation? I asked. This is a technique I've learned to use over the years whenever I find myself at an impasse with a dispassionate customer service operator or an apathetic bureaucrat. Phrasing the sentence in such a manner invites the person who has all the power to pause for a moment and put themselves in the shoes of the person who is powerless. So the great thing is Elizabeth Gilbert asked this and the Homeland Security officer told them to get married. That's what he would have done.
0: Yeah. And that's sort of the solution to their immediate problem that he suggests. And the fact is, this is a brilliant question. I don't always remember to use it when I should, but whenever I remember to use it, It's super, super helpful. And I think like she says, it invites the person to have empathy for you. But I think it also makes them think in a bigger way because they're like, well, I'm not just going to feed you the official line. I'm going to say, well, Mm -hmm. if I had to deal with this, what would I do? And they probably know a lot more about the situation and might have things to do that aren't the official answer that wouldn't have occurred to you, but that's actually very helpful to you.
1: Well, and everybody likes to be an expert. So if you treat them like an expert, they're automatically going to have warmer feelings toward you and want to be more helpful.
0: Well, and the funny thing is how it actually does unlock additional information where you're like, why didn't you just tell me this before? But anyway, so here's the most striking example of when I use this. So Elizabeth, you remember when Our family was getting ready to travel to Europe for our summer vacation, and I realized the night before we were supposed to leave that Eleanor's passport was going to expire soon, and it wasn't going to expire In the time of the trip, but we were going into Germany and Germany requires that your passport is valid for six months after you travel. And hers was within that window. So even though it wasn't (laughs) technically expired, we couldn't travel to Germany with Eleanor because of her passport. (sighs) And it was so bad. I remember racing out of my office, you know, waving her passport and being like, oh, my gosh, we have a big, big, big problem. And Jamie's face kind of like trying to take it in because at first he's like, oh, I'm sure this is no big deal. And then slowly realizing like, oh, wow, this is a major thing. So we got a hold of this travel agent and she kept saying, well, you can't do it and you can't travel. And there's this. And then if you go through the official passport agency, it's this, it's this, it's this. And finally, I remembered this question from Elizabeth Gilbert. And I said, well, what would you do if you were us? Mm. She thought like, on the phone, she thought for a minute. She's like, well, if you're in New York City, there is this place downtown where like they will do same day turnaround of a passport. It's an official passport agency and they'll give it to you. Like if you go for thing <laughs> in the morning, they'll give it to you by lunchtime. And I was like, how do, was that not the lead? Uh, you know, like yes. this is clearly the answer right here. But it was many, many, many minutes of discussion and of dead ends before she got to that. And I think it was. It wasn't one of the normal answers to the question. It was like this very kind of like not that many people know about it. I don't know if they have it in any other cities, if they just have it in New York City for whatever reason. But this question, what would you do if you were us unlocked that crucial piece of information? And then fast forward. Yeah, I went down there at like five in the morning to stand in line and we had our passport by 1 p.m. So we only missed a day of our vacation. It was amazing.
1: (laughs) So it's a good question. So thank you, Elizabeth Gilbert, for that wonderful happiness hack.
0: All right. Time for an interview with Jancy Dunn and Tom Vanderbilt. Jancy is a journalist and bestselling
1: author of several books. She has a new book that we're going to talk about today, How Not to Hate Your Husband After Kids. (laughs) Now, that's a great title. (laughs) This book combines her memoir about her own marital challenges with advice that she got from various relationship experts, including an FBI crisis negotiator, about how to handle the stresses on a marriage after a baby is added to the mix. It's a version of a happiness project for marriage. Jancy tackled issues related to chores, division of labor, how to fight right, clutter, money, all of it.
0: To add to the discussion about how not to hate your husband after kids, we have Jancy's husband, Tom Vanderbilt, with us, too. Tom is also a very accomplished, best-selling author and journalist. He's written several books, including two books that I love. Uh, One is You May Also Like, Taste in an Age of Endless Choice, and Traffic, Why We Drive the Way We Do and What It Says About Us. So, hello, Jancy and Tom. Thanks so much for coming to the Panoply studio. Pleasure to be here. Hi, guys. Likewise. Hello. (laughs) Yeah, and you live right near here, so that's good. Oh, so easy. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we're so excited to talk to you. Now, Jancy, I have to ask a question that I know you've been asked before, which is, the thing about your book is, it's about marriage, Mm. it's hilarious, and it is so honest. How did you feel about writing something so extremely honest? I mean, it makes it riveting but you talk about what you said when you were fighting together mm-hmm. what you said in couples therapy your conflicts about money this kind of really deep candor is pretty rare how did that feel
2: it made you cringe a little to read it didn't it no i, mean, it was, I was riveted uh-huh. <laughs> but it's 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 cringeworthy a little it is for me i mean i, I had to write a sex chapter which is not my jam yeah uh, but i had to do it you yeah. know it's it's a it's an issue and so it has been a little difficult to expose our marriage because I felt like I had to be authentic—that word is thrown around a lot. But but you know readers can sense when you're not being authentic or when you're hiding something. And I felt like we—I had to just lay it all out there. And the worst period of time was when I had turned the book in and I thought, is anyone else living like us? Is it just me right, who's right, right, right. calling my husband terrible? Right, right, yeah. You know names. So that was the worst period, but then, when the book came out, and people said oh i i this is happening to me too. I mm. felt a little bit better, but Tom, to his credit, this is his nightmare this book this this whole thing was a very hard sell. He's a private guy, yeah. right you don't even hear him Ooh. right now he's he's here. <laughs> he's next to me. You don't even know um, I'm doing all the time, and he, you know, but he said, if you're going to do it, he's a journalist. you know, we have to do it and I was um heartened by that because. I thought he would just say no right away. So, Tom, did you
1: read the chapters as Jancy was writing them and say yes or no to certain things? Or did you just give her carte blanche to write whatever she wanted?
3: I would say pretty much carte blanche. Obviously, I thought there was a bit of a kind of a redemption story in it Um, (laughs) for for Mm -hmm. me. Otherwise, it would have. Been a little bit uh, self punishing just to put out this horrible. You know, why would I want this horrible depiction of myself to be out there and living? Oh, well, with you that, don't but, come off uh, horrible. Well, so that. Oh, well, yeah, thank you. Right. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if if I, if if I wasn't confident that there was that uh, arc and and that we weren't doing some sort of greater service, hopefully, right. um, that yeah, it, it definitely required a little bit of. Uh, strong constitution to sort of read it and take it.
0: Uh, well, the, we, you tried so many different things and you thought about your marriage from a lot of different angles. And what do you think is the most important thing that you learned about marriage from this? All
2: right. This seems thunderingly obvious, but it wasn't for me. And it was to state my own needs. My yeah. my comfort zone was thinking that he could read my mind and fuming. And I yeah. i really was the martyr. And I would be banging pots and pans in my house and in, mm. in our kitchen and glaring at him. He really was oblivious. He's really big on social chess. Or he would just play social chess and kind of look up at me. Mm. And he really did not know that I was angry. And instead of just saying, I w- I'm angry, I wish you could help, I, I just was not direct. And you would think I would have figured that out.
0: Mm. You know, oh well, I want to get to this in a little bit mm. when we talk about the tendencies because I, it all falls the whole time place. I was reading this, I was like, I oh my gosh, this is the tendencies. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so so right, so not articulating expectations. So that was the key thing for you. Mm-hmm. Now, how about you for you, Tom? Uh,
3: again, this might at the risk of being thunderingly obvious. Uh, I mean, one thing is just that marriage really is this uh, dynamic system uh, that that changes over time. I mean, it's it's you know you sort of you think when you get married, oh, we're always going to be like this. It's mm-hmm. our relationship is intact. But the arrival of our daughter just really recast yes. the, the whole situation. And it was suddenly a different type of relationship with different needs and different expectations. And it was, you know, 2.0, basically. Mm. And I was probably still living in one po- the 1.0 um, <laughs> because, ho- honeymoon era. <laughs>
2: may I say? Because he took up long distance cycling pretty much when the baby came out of me. And all of a sudden he was he was cycling upstate away for long periods of time, cycling trips mm. to Guatemala, the Italian countryside. Mm. Uh, yeah. And he's training for the marathon. <laughs> uh, so so there was a lot of um, escaping going on. Well, and
1: don't you think there's this myth that you're supposed to have Ugh. a baby and it's going to be wonderful and you're going to be so close and it's all these happy pictures on Facebook. And then it's like
2: there's this reality that it's just really hard to have a kid. You should just stay away from social media when you're when you have a newborn because it's hashtag so blessed and everyone looks well rested and the baby doesn't look like he or she cries at all and everyone's glowing and and we were right. not hashtag so blessed it was hashtag um,
0: barely hanging in, ba- in there <laughs> thank you yes indeed yes <laughs> yeah. no I'm I'm yeah. always astonished when I see somebody who's like <laughs> looks like she's taking a shower I'm like I definitely didn't take a shower good four or six weeks mm-hmm. in yeah.
1: Yeah, What I want to know from you guys is for someone who has a baby on the way, who has not yet entered into this period and might be
2: listening, what is the most crucial piece of advice you'd give? The number one piece of advice for somebody who's expecting is to have the big conversations ahead of time. I know it's fun to talk about The color of the baby's room and chicks or bunnies or, you know, what are we going to name the child? Which, I mean, we spent so many hours talking about names because it's fun. But we did not have the big conversations about expectations of
0: how, you know, discipline. uh, Do you think you you can have – do you think you even know your own mind in advance? Like one of the things that – I'm not sure I would have even had any idea what I even thought or believed or – or had any understanding of like, it's just so different.
2: Well, that's a very good question. Um, Uh. One thing that boiled it down for me, and it was um, research from um, uh, the love lab is to ask even just the simple question, what five things did you love when you were growing Mm. up about your parents, about being parented? What five things are you not going to repeat? And that really gets granular into how you were raised because we didn't, We've mm, had some talks great. about how we were raised, but, you know, you don't really get down to it. it, it we mostly no. live in the now. And so that would have cleared up a lot of problems right away because it's funny how things bubble up that you don't know are going to matter to you until you have a child. Maybe it's about suddenly you want to have family dinners and it never you yeah. know, wasn't your thing before. Religion becomes important to you. You know, there's just all these big things. But, but you're right. On the mm-hmm. one hand, you can only prepare so much. Can't you? I mean, it's so hard. Yeah.
0: You just have no idea. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And, and I think you tend to focus on the very tangible things. I mean, as a as a father, I was obsessed about things like ahead of time car seats. Uh huh. Car seats. Two in the morning, I would be researching you know, consumer, <laughs> consumer Reports magazine about, yeah. you know, but meanwhile, not thinking at all about like, what am I, you know, right. who's going to. Take care of the child in the morning and the afternoon and, you know, parceling out the different I'm just talking logistics, which is Mm -hmm. which is a huge part of it. I mean, yeah,
1: I've noticed in my life and my friends lives that there's a tendency for new moms to feel like they should want to do everything. And so they sort of set it up where they're doing all the feedings and they're changing all the diapers and then the dads get kind of pushed out and then they do things like go on long distance bike rides and then it just sort
2: of creates this distance that can be problematic maternal gatekeeping and I was completely guilty I mean this isn't some takedown of my husband I had to examine my own behavior and it was it was 50 50 and I was reinforcing I mean maternal gatekeeping where you you push away a father because you're you're letting them know that you can do a better job and so if a father's hesitant and what parent isn't hesitant at first it becomes self-reinforcing. And I would, my classic phrase was, give me the baby. He would be trying to bathe our daughter and, you know, I was afraid she was going to drown. I was very dramatic and I would say, just, just give her to me. Or he would mm. struggle with, put you know, onesies have, what, 27 snaps? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah. It, so he would be like struggling to put her onesie on and I would say, just, just give her to me. Well, how is he ever supposed to learn? Yes. And how is he ever <gasps> supposed to feel confident if I'm constantly shoving him out of the way?
3: Right. Uh, and let's be honest, I think most Many fathers are, are quite happy to let that <laughs> gate, gatekeeping happen. I mean, well, I, I, well,
0: one way to I, think I, about this is through the lens of like male and female and mother and father. But another lens to look yeah. through this, and this is the way I really get it. Given my obsession with the four tendencies... To me, Jancy, the fact that you were an obliger was just every page. Like I I went through and like there was just one thing after another, which was you're meeting outer expectations. You're struggling Mm -hmm. to meet inner expectations. Yes. You expect that others would understand the expectations that they're placing on you and and understand why those are burdensome, even if you don't articulate it. Mm -hmm. Very obliger. You find it hard to delegate certain tasks. Certain tasks seem like they attach to you personally and they can't be outsourced. So anyway, I was like, oh, my gosh, a and, and you took the quiz and you were an a 100%. Yeah. Yes. And I think many of the things that you, that you struggled with show that. No, but so, Tom, I couldn't decide. The first time I read the book, I thought you were a mm-hmm. questioner. The second time, I was like, mm, he might be a rebel. So questioners always ask why. Why should I? So mm-hmm. they'll do things that make sense to them, but they'll resist other people's expectations if they don't make sense. And rebels want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. And if you ask them to do things, they're very likely to resist. But they could have very high values and be very committed to their idea of being a good parent and a good husband and all that. They could be very highly ide- idealistic and highly considerate.
2: I thought the same thing. At first I thought, oh, of course he's a questioner because she he does question a lot. But then upon further reflection, a rebel. Ooh. The smallest group, correct? That's yes. The, yes. Yeah. It was yeah. interesting to me.
3: Yeah. I mean, just to take one sol- small slice of that, the, the kind of work discussion. I mean, yeah. my, my career is, you know, I'm a writer, but freelance. I work at home by myself. There's, yeah. as you kind of describe, every day is different. I'm yeah. dealing with new people. I don't really have an ongoing boss. But if
0: somebody asks you or tells you to do something, let's say Jancy asks you to do something, are you more likely to be thinking, well, why should I? Or are you more likely to be thinking you're not the boss of me?
3: The latter. Okay, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> that is a rebel. And oh. can
0: I say, when there is a rebel, mm-hmm. they are almost always paired with an obliger. So that makes sense that you're a rebel obliger. So one of the things that made me think that you sounded like a rebel is that Jancy, you would ask him to do something, mm-hmm. and Tom, you would say later or in a minute. You wouldn't. You wouldn't just do the thing, which then made you very resentful and angry because you couldn't just get stuff done. Yes. That was our because there was this resistance, yeah.
3: And it's sort of a passive. I think I was trying to avoid conflict by just delaying. I wasn't outright saying no often, but it was no, right? It was or just a form of no.
0: And the thing about like uh, like the long bike rides—that's part of your identity. You're like, I need to do this. It's got to get done because for a rebel, it is just like, well this is how things are going to go.
3: Yeah, I think I've heard, Jancy, you use the phrase, you know, if maybe my daughter, I'll want to do something with my daughter, and my daughter will say, well, do you really want to do it? And you'll you'll say, if he didn't want to do it, he wouldn't do oh, it. Oh, interesting. Um, so, <laughs> yes. But, you know.
2: This is, I mean, this book nailed it. It's funny, if, if thank God, your book came out after mine, because otherwise I wouldn't have a book, because we would have solved everything. <laughs> oh, that, I swear to God. I swear to God.
0: Yeah. So now that the book is out, what do you think is the thing that's resonated most with other people? Like now that people have read it, what are they coming to you and saying like, "Oh, this is the this was my big takeaway."
2: For for me, it's that there was a a taboo around admitting that you're fighting with your husband when the baby comes. Mm. I think partly, you know, when you have a boyfriend, you kind of blabber with your friends about your boyfriend, but but when it becomes your husband, when you marry them, it's a little more sacred. It is. Mm-hmm. And also there was Again there was just a lot of shame around it. You just feel like you should have it more together. Mm. Well, and I also think once you have a baby, the stakes are higher
1: for the marriage itself. So it 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 it's a compounding issue. It's like you want to get along but be- you know the best you've ever gotten along because now you have a baby and you want to have a great marriage for the baby. Exactly. Exactly.
3: Yeah, and it's sort of like a, a, a ship or something taking on more weight and whatever existing strains are in that structure, the yeah. added weight yes. you know, puts just be, begins to separate a little bit at the seams.
0: Now, last thing, when whenever people come, we ask them for a try this at home, which is an easy, concrete, manageable thing that people can try tomorrow to make themselves happier, healthier, more productive, more creative or whatever. So do you have a try this at home that you want to suggest for our listeners?
2: I do. And I love that question. Oh, good. And I would say that it's it's a family tradition that we have. We have a little family of three, but it's called sardine can. Our daughter oh. is eight. And when one of us has had a hard day, um, our daughter basically has good days all the time. But when, when, I mean, it happened the other day when I got rejected um, from a place I've wanted to write for forever again, and I said sardine can, and that means we all race to the bedroom we jump under the covers and we just get silly oh. and goofy for a few minutes oh. and there are so many times that i just can't wait to climb into the sardine oh. can that's so fun. and when everyone kind of whimpers sardine can you know you have to proceed directly to the bedroom <laughs> and and uh, assume the position that's
0: the can we have something called family love sandwich which uh-huh. is when every you stand and like everybody has to like crush together but we don't do it as like a, a plea for help mm. and i like this idea that it's like I need attention. I need, yeah. like, you know, this must be addressed.
2: Yeah, the happy yeah. chemicals start flowing yeah, 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 really yeah. quickly. So. Yeah,
3: that's like an emergency button. Yes, you know, I, <laughs> I love
0: know. it. Sardine can. <laughs> oh, that is a great one. Excellent. <laughs> well, thanks so much, guys, for coming by the studio today. It was great to meet you in person. Um, pleasure. pleasure. I know. And, um, uh, again, how not to hate your husband after kids. It's <laughs> hilarious, it's honest, and it's helpful. Yes.
1: Okay, Gretch, it's time for Demerits and Gold Stars, and you are up this week with a happiness demerit.
0: So this will come as no surprise to you, Elizabeth. It's my classic demerit, the demerit that I return to over and over again, which is losing my temper, snapping. I was the middle of the Mm -hmm. night, and uh, I was having trouble sleeping. I'd been so, you know when you're so tired you can't sleep beyond the point of being able to have restful sleep? So I'd gone to sleep really early. I woke up in the middle of the night. So we sleep to the sound of the radio, which I know some people think it's crazy, but that's what we do. And it was to the BBC. And I don't like listening to the BBC because it's these long stories. And usually, like, they're very emotionally distressing. Mm. And so I don't like to listen to it. So I got up out of bed to change it. And Jamie... His voice comes out. Turns out he's awake, too. He's like, don't change it. I'm listening to it. I'm like, I don't want to listen to this stuff. How can you expect me to go to sleep when I'm listening to some terrible story about blah, 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 blah? No, we're going to switch it. So I turn off his radio. I turn on my radio, which is to all news radio. But that's a baseball (laughs) game, which I hate listening to sports. And then it's the middle of the night. I don't have the the manual dexterity to change the the radio station. So I'm like enraged (laughs) by this. And I'm just going off. And then I flounced into bed. I'm like thumping my pillow violently. Oh, my God. And Jamie didn't say anything. So we both fall asleep. And so the next morning, we're all in the kitchen before work and school and stuff. And Daddy says to Eleanor, ask mommy how she yelled at me in the middle of the night when I didn't do anything like in this very funny way. So I was very happy that he could make a joke of it.
1: Yeah, gold started J yeah.
0: <laughs> It does kind of annoy me that I don't think it even really bothers him that much when I have one of my little fits. In the moment, I want him to be really yeah. upset. But it probably over the long right. term, it's good that it just kind of slides off his back. But anyway,
1: it's definitely good over the long term.
0: But I, I it was a demerit moment for sure.
1: Well, for you, Gretchen, sleep. And when someone met, when yeah. your sleep is messed with, you don't you don't deal with it well. No. So I don't think it was about the radio station. I think you were very upset that you couldn't sleep. Yes, and so that was causing you great frustration.
0: Yes, I am a sleep zealot, and I get and very. Jamie
1: was the unfortunate recipient <laughs> of that frustration.
0: Yes. Okay. So that's my demerit, well deserved. What is the gold star for this week, Elizabeth?
1: All right, Gretsch, I've gotta give a gold star to all of the firefighters of California oh, yeah. who have been working overtime. We have had a lot of fires lately. Um, you know, we had the one in up in Sonoma that just sort of burned and burned and burned, and it was a really tough fire, and we've had a lot of bad fires also in Southern California. And you know I love California and I love living in California and it is one of the things about living in California is we do have a lot of fires because it's so dry. So big gold star to all the firefighters yes. who saved so many houses and, yeah. and people and animals um, yeah. and land. So that's a really tough job. And I yeah. give them a big gold star for all their hard work.
0: Yeah, I mean, tough conditions and high stakes and relentless, you know, just went on. And, like you said, it went on and on and on. So that is a great gold star.
1: Yes. And to all the firefighters who came to help those guys and women in California, too.
0: Yeah. And that is it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Say down with boredom. Let us know if you tried it and if it worked for you. Or maybe you embraced boredom. Let us know if you tried
1: that. Special thanks to our wonderful guests, Jancy Dunn and Tom Vanderbilt. Jancy's new book is How Not to Hate Your Husband After Kids. We'll put links to it in the show notes and to her other books. Thank you to our producer, Kristen Meinzer. Also, thanks to Andy Bowers of Panoply. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Instagram at gretchenrubin, and I'm at Liz Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com.
0: If you like the show, we've said it once. We'll say it again. Please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes. This really helps us let other listeners know about the show. This week, the resources are the Better app that you can find if you go to the App Store and search Better Gretchen Rubin, or you can, if you're on your desktop, you can just search the Better app. And this is a place where you can have all kinds of conversations about the four tendencies. And if you need an accountability group, you can form an accountability group there. And also, you know, one thing that people ask me for a lot, so I just wanted to let people know that it's available, is I have a chart that I used when I did my happiness project which is my resolution chart, which is how I organize doing a happiness project. So if that sounds like a chart that would be useful for you to take a look at, to use as an example, you can email me that or I'll put a link in the show notes. And it also has a blank template that you can use yourself if you are going to try to do your own resolutions.
1: Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft.
0: And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us Onward and Upward.